0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, um, I opened up my email this morning, and there was a lovely quote from Eckhart Tolle, I thought I would start with that. Um, and it, it goes like this. <clears throat> when you are present in this moment, you break the continuity of your story of past and future. Then true intelligence arises. Also love. A Beautiful little quote. Um, and even in this moment, if, if we allow ourselves to just drop in, kind of get under the flow of thought, sense your body. You can almost feel that beautiful sweetness of a present moment or kind of resting a calming place within us. And this morning, um, the mornings that I come here, they could be really about, oh no, what am I going to say? And will this make sense? And did I read enough or have enough quotes or, oh my God, am I going to get there on time? What if I'm, you know, that kind of thing They can really easily happen or just like a walk in the garden, feeling the morning sun, the earth touching the feet, you know, getting the mint from the garden for tea. Noticing the tomato plant that doesn't give tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> I was a squirrel really angry it seemed maybe that I was there and chirping <clears throat> loudly and his tail up and sweet chirp squash had this big yellow flower before it makes squash it apparently gives you this gorgeous yellow flower and some of the roses were perfect and others were shrivelled from the heat but you just you've been in those moments where it's presence and not a lot of dialogue about having a self or what you need or what's next or your agenda, right? It's just being with what is. The f- and there's a flow. There's a peace. There's some love and appreciation. And there's rest. Something in our culture most of us do not nearly get enough of. Rest in the moment. And in the Buddha's teaching, we talk about this present moment awareness, practicing the immediacy of uh, reality. That when we're in the present moment, we're actually more in the immediacy of the moment, or more in, in the moment, and not off in time travel. And that with it comes a touch to reality that has wisdom, intelligence, right action, kindness, all of these aspects of self that come with this present moment experience. And Almas, whose big book I have here, uh, I have a quote from him, and he says, we have a case of mistaken identity we have mistaken identity we're identified with our self-concepts and that limits our experience of self and the world we take ourselves to be determined by the sets of ideas and images that take us away from who we really are takes us away from who we really are and If you notice, all of us can be fully identified and lost into the mind chatter, creating images, desires, wishes, what's right, what's not right, how people should act, shouldn't act, uh, how the world should be. We're fully identified and then we're lost. In this conceptual world that we've created, we're walking around and we're totally gone in it. And it can be very anxiety provoking and stressful. One of my teachers likes to say uh, we're addicted to um, the seeker part of ourselves there's a seeker seeking, the next moment will be so much better. When I hit that bed and I lay down, oh, it's going to feel so good, I can't wait. Or when I can get out from my desk and get into the car and drive away, that moment's going to be great, you know, in this hot weather. If I could just get that good ice cream or gelato, Mm -hmm. oh, perfect, you know, or that iced latte, right? And what we know from these moments is they – they don't rock our world or change us there. They give us a momentary satisfaction, and then we're on to the next pleasure-seeking thing to fill us up, you know. And we go from one thing to the next like that, um, and we're like a rat in the wheel, you know, always hoping for the next gratification. And even the big gratifications are not what we think they are. On one of my friends, I'm diverting a bit, who uh, teaches a graduate school program, she says she always likes to tell her students they work so hard to get this degree. And for some of you who have worked hard for degrees or certificates, there's the moment when you get it, and the next moment is just, can be awful. (laughs) 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 Because you realize in that moment that um, you were not in the Holy Land at all. (laughs) Right? And then it's the next thing. How do I get that job? Or how do I pay that loan? Right. (laughs) So, uh, so in Buddhism, we talk about um, four. We talk about a lot, but but one of the things we talk about is four common distortions that take us out of that flow of being, uh, to rest in that present moment experience. And the immediacy and the reality of our experience that so we can see clearly, so divine, so wisdom and intelligence can arise, right? Trust, intelligence, clarity, love. And so I'll tell you what the four are, you've heard them before, the four great hits, yeah. You know, uh, uh, so the first one is, um, the, and again, it could be the, called the four distortions that we see things, we imagine a solidity in things that aren't solid. So even from uh, physics now, we know that just about everything that we touch, the chair that I'm sitting on has lots of space in it, it's not quite as dense as the eye sees it. When you can see into it, there's massive space in things but for us we see solidity and permanence when things are fluid and changing all the time and as we sit here our basic physiology is changing from one second to the next our body is not the same and uh relationships from one moment to the next are not really the same and yet we solidify people and see them a certain way. Uh, and, and when we do that, there's a suffering that comes with it, Dukkha, the suffering. When we can't see the flow and impermanence and changing nature. Um, and when you're a practitioner, a Buddhist practitioner, you literally begin to notice impermanence and change everywhere you go. That building was here. Now it's torn down. It's a Seven Eleven. I'm just <laughs> adding that, <laughs> right? Um, that tree, that beautiful tree. Now it's dead, or it's in bloom. Uh, your uh, little niece or nephew uh, that was this big is this big. It, it, but it's everywhere and in everything. You used to have great digestion, and now you've got an irritable stomach, right? It, your eyes were 20, 20, and now you need big, thick lenses, <laughs> right? Or you used to hold a view uh, about, let's say, parenting or politics or money, and now it's opposite and change. You don't hold that view anymore. That, in truth, it's all fluid and nothing is fixed. But a lot of times, in the moment, we get caught and we see things as fixed and solid. And you can feel that suffering. So one is seeing solidity where there isn't one in permanence. And um, Mark Nunberg, one of the teachers I like to listen to a lot, uh, you know, he points out that in that we're always looking for, and I think you do too, I, I do too, this permanent solution. Like, when this gets resolved, I can rest, you'll be permanent. It's all fixed up. And the truth is that you get one thing resolved and then the next thing gets unresolved or needs your attention or it's a problem. Like there is no place that's fully resolved. And as humans, we just don't like that sense of refall. So when I speak about um, these four distortions, know that they are difficult at times to grasp and you don't always feel that you can get rest from them. It could be anxiety provoking. But these distortions need to be understood not just intellectually but in your heart and belly, in the, in the body, uh, as a felt sense. And that's where there's a release and a rest. And I'll go on to talk a little more about that. So. Uh, one is solidity and um the other is which we've already um touched on is that desire the big and the little right when i find that perfect retirement community Mm -hmm. it's going to be perfect right Mm -hmm. That's that's my current one, but not too long ago it was when I find that perfect house to raise the kids in, right? It just it's just a different story. But there's always that story, of I can the seeking I can, and the hope that the next desire fulfilled will give me the solidity and the comfort, you know. And uh, the other one uh, is. Um, I take myself and my thoughts to be me, right? I take all this to be me, my thoughts, my ideas, my reference points. Uh, One of my Dharma friends, I I think this is a story that can illustrate it. Um, She went to a big family reunion over, she traveled by plane over a few days, very excited that family would be together after many 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 years and there were a lot of activities lots of kids and families a joyful thing but um, she was taking her thoughts to be her right and so she went and she noticed her critical parenting thoughts. People who had young children were not parenting correctly. (laughs) And then the caterer just didn't deliver the food quite in the way that she wanted. Um, And then there were people who were making comments that she didn't care for, you know. And sometimes she'd go up to relatives she hadn't seen in a while. It just didn't feel just right, you know. And so the dukkha was growing. Right, The dukkha was growing because just the situation just wasn't hitting her sweet spot of how she wanted the reunion to unfold. We all have things we do and places we go where we have the idea of how it should be for us to be okay with it, and it doesn't quite happen in that way. And so very often if we're not um, students of the truth, seekers of the truth, we project our dissatisfaction out there and we make it not, it's not right instead of we're not maybe seeing it right or we're not holding it right. And so when she could see how much she was taking her ideas to be her, she could then tap into uh, the impermanence and the desire that um, this was a time for, to see loved ones that may never happen again right? These children will only be this big for so long. Um, Her siblings will only be here on the planet for so long. The elders are only going to be here for so long. And the experiences that they share across generations as a family is impermanent. We're all coming and going. You know, someone could get a job in Hong Kong or Tokyo, right? Or, or Canada, or I don't know, Wisconsin, (laughs) right? And, uh, that when she could drop who she took her her opinions to be and her ideas her story about what it was supposed to be like then she could receive and give from the heart and really enjoy this motley group of people Mm -hmm. right all their warts and all you know all their quirkiness and the things that we deal with in family she could her heart could open because she could drop her who she takes herself to be right who do i take myself to be um, so that's a third one and then um, the fourth one is an interesting one that sometimes is hard to conceptualize but we take what's not beautiful to be beautiful we take what's not beautiful to be beautiful and what's beautiful to be not beautiful. Yeah. Do you get that one? I see you're nodding your head, th- I'm glad, because that is a hard one. Um, so I give you a, a few examples of that. There are some uh, Dharma teachers that have shared over the years that um, the Buddha talked a lot about the vanity of the body. And the pleasures of the body and how we're attached to the body in a certain way through image and also through a cultural lens of what is a beauty and what isn't beauty and what's acceptable. And it, when you really start to investigate that, it's quite dysfunctional <laughs> i need i say more so um uh, several teachers have talked about having something like oral surgery and asking not to be put under and to have a mirror so they could take what's so beautiful oh my beautiful skin and face and mm-hmm. teeth and lips and to see what's not beautiful through cutting open your mouth and seeing the blood and the right because they want to break their trance of their concept of body. I know you're laughing, but think about it a little bit. Think about how sometimes we take what's not beautiful to be beautiful. We imbue something. An example um, from my own experience would be last year going to Granada in Spain. And we wanted to see the Alhambra, which is this gorgeous building. Uh, It's a palace and a fortress. And they call it the pearl set in uh, diamonds or rubies. You know, it's always been talked about over the centuries as this fabulously gorgeous palace fortress. And when you go, the gardens and the water flowing through it, the mosaic tile, it has Moorish, Arabic influence, and then Spanish and Renaissance. It is exquisite. There is no question for me particularly walking those gardens was, um, I think I might have took a million pictures. I was just so <laughs> enthralled with its beauty. And um, the view and just the artwork and the tunnels, the architecture, the artist, you can go on and on and on. And of course people visit this site from all over the world. And I had bumped into this lovely tour guide and she said to me, you know, we keep, I give tours here, we keep talking about all of its beauty, but do we ever stop and consider the slave labor that went into Mm -hmm. building a palace and a fortress like this that only the few wealthy Mm -hmm. could ever enjoy? Mm -hmm. Do we ever think about how people were treated who built those walls and gardens and Mm -hmm. fences and gates and what their lives were like? Is that beautiful? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See? So we have to really pierce our idea of beauty sometimes to see uh, the truth of the way things are. Now, the Buddha isn't saying, don't appreciate booty. Booty, beauty.
1: (laughs) I was actually thinking of the next part of this talk, which is
0: how we're enamored with physicality in our culture. And this is, when you look at it through a very clear lens, how there's so much suffering for young girls growing Mm -hmm. up, and even young boys with the ideal of beauty. Mm -hmm. They can be so hurt and ensnarled Mm -hmm. in not looking like the cultural norm and the suffering that comes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly as a therapist, I've sat in rooms with young women, and now young men too, who are lost in this world of illusion and delusion because they cannot accept the way they look or they need to look better than they look. Or there's an eating disorder to say so, tiny, you know, because they're, right? So you see, about beauty, this is making more sense? Mm -hmm. How you can get caught in the desire of it. And then when it's gone. Another example would be... um, I love to look at those sunflowers that come up in the summer. Like they just shoot right up and there are these big yellow wild things that are in your face and they're big. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just so wonderful and they're so yellow. And then when they're done they're <laughs> <laughs> they crumple and they're they're just done, you know? So it gives you that idea about beauty. This, the fleeting quality of beauty. And with beauty, it's likes and dislikes. Preferences. I like this. I don't like that. This is good. That's bad. This is right. This isn't right. All of that can keep us on the wheel, right? Keep us on the maze. So, uh, it keeps us on. I got to think again. You know, I got to evaluate this again. I got to judge it again. And I, I like to, um, tell this story um, about being on retreat, a concentration retreat. Some of you may have heard this before. And uh, the idea was to follow your breath, breath rising, breath falling, to kind of hug the breath with your awareness 24 seven sitting, walking, eating, going to the bathroom, getting dressed, combing your hair to develop a steady concentration state. And uh, about second or third day, I saw myself going from the hall to where they serve the food down the hill. And uh, my mind was slipping off the breath clearly. But it was, it's like, well, I wouldn't quite landscape around the building that way. <laughs> if I were the landscaper, I would plant this in this way. Um, you know, I notice the irrigation system is leaking a lot of water. So I would fix it this way. Or maybe I wouldn't put the food hall there. I'd put it there. You know, and it would just go on like that. That the mind needed the wheel to know itself. The identification was in the solving itself rather than just the, in that moving. And what was better? You know, my landscaping, my irrigation system, my design of the food hall. (laughs) I think they should hire me already. (laughs) Right? so as if we're entranced in the good and the bad of it, right? The, the idea we have of it. And we always tell this story, and, and then I'll stop and we'll do some small group sharing, of um, the farmer, the story of the farmer, which you may have heard the story. Kind of goes about this family who's working a small farm, Hundreds of years ago. And this wild stallion comes from the hills and the mountains and kind of rests in the pasture. And the neighbors say, "Wow, good fortune. If you can uh, train that stallion, then you can use it in the fields and you'll be able to do more field work. So maybe you can get your son there to get on the stallion and train the stallion and then you'll have all this help in the fields wow great lucky you you got that stallion in your pasture and so the sun gets on top of the stallion and tries to break it and train it so they can use it on the farm and the stallion throws the sun off and the sun breaks his leg and then the neighbors say oh god that's got to be really bad for you guys your son does so much work around the farm, and now you don't have him, and you work much harder, and who knows how long it will be for his leg to heal. And then the army comes in from the distant village that they're fighting with, and uh, is looking for all the young men to take, to fight. And all the young men are swept off, but they leave the son with the broken leg, because he can't. He's of no use to them. And then the neighbors come in and they say, oh, so lucky you have a son with a broken leg. He didn't get taken by the army. And so life has that flow of good and bad, of things happening and changing, and yet it's so easy to get caught and stuck in the very story itself and not stay in the truth of the way things are. Not intellectually and in a judgmental way or a critical way, but in a felt sense of being, in a knowing. And that's the discipline and the work and the sweetness of practice, the truth of practice, of staying with the practice of knowing what's really happening. What is really reality? What is really reality? Do we take things to be dense and permanent and unchanging? Uh, Do we believe the next desire is going to fix the itch of desire? Hmm. Do we take my thoughts and my ideas and my conversations in my head to be me and real, (laughs) right? And do we take what's not beautiful to be beautiful and what's beautiful to be not beautiful? I'll give you one more example of that because I think that's a one to play with. Uh, when I was teaching mindfulness at Kaiser, right? All these the MBCT class, you would just get a whole bunch of people that would sign in on the computer. Maybe twenty or thirty people. You don't know who they are, who's coming, and what their ideas are ever. Like you just don't know. And uh, one day I came in the room, and you were there, right? That's why I'm here. <laughs> yes, a survivor, right? I like your And uh, so one day I came in and I saw in the lobby a young woman with a um, severe facial deformity. And I had a little worry because in a group of 20 or 30 people, I'm not sure how people will be appropriate or handle it or how it will come because it was pretty severe and difficult to look at. Even for me, you know, I, I have that reactivity that we have around it. And, um, but okay, you just gotta go with the flow of what's happening and this is what's happening now. And um, because we're practicing, I think, mindfulness particularly and really calming the reactivity, um, her deformity to me no longer became a deformity. She was quite beautiful you know, in her essence and being like, I never, I stopped seeing the deformity. And no one else saw it either, you know, she could perfectly relate and get through that room. So, you know, when the reactivity settles, when the mind settles, then we don't really have these reactive opinions that keep us very stuck in the way we judge people. Another situation that is a little different but also speaks to this Um, Early on in the course, when we just started, and a few people were coming, 10, 8, 7, like that number. It was very small, but um, so we would get a lot of um, people who were uh, maybe um, from uh, Central America, Mexico, older, a lot of them were very Catholic, and they were coming to mindfulness, beautiful, and one of my favorite things was um, mindfulness of the rosary beads, that they had adapted that, was such a beautiful thing, and they brought their beauty and their sweetness, and um, this, uh, so we had a group of women who identified as Catholic, and they were using their mindfulness to practice Catholicism, no problem, um, not from this country, maybe from more conservative parts in the world. And we had um, a woman, and we'll call her Jane, who was um, transgender and was transitioning from, he was, she, was about 6'2 or 6'3, very burly, worked in construction, and was beginning this transition to, from male to female and came to practice mindfulness to help her transition and she works in a very male dominated masculine setting of uh, construction and to deal with that, right? And so here is Jane with the women, Um, the rest of them and some of them, me knowing to be very Catholic and may have an opinion, do you see where where I'm getting, right? They may have an opinion and I'm worried about how Jane will be accepted in this group. And, again, this is mindfulness, when the reactivity settles. And Jane was um, trying on clothing and makeup and, and still looking quite masculine, but really dressing feminine. And the women would say, um, they'd come in, they say, Jane, that color looks so great on you. You should wear more of it. Jane, you look so pretty today. I love your hair that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a full acceptance. <laughs> there never was a doubt in this group. Uh, everything transcended. And one time, I'm not, sometimes my pronouns really get mixed. My, uh, I'm just speaking faster than I think, and I said he instead of she in a moment. And they all went, Jane is a she. You know, like they were right with wanting the best for Jane. Wanting the best. Their ideas that they grew up with, and the indoctrination of the church, and the religiosity, when the heart won. Mm. Yeah, the heart won. So when the reactivity settles, the heart can win. It's not about what I think. I was one of my favorite classes. So, what I would like for us to do is to break into small groups and explore the four distortions, where it lands for you. Don't you may repeat them again. Please. <laughs> I knew you would do that. As a matter of fact, what we could do is we could get into the small group and I can say what it is and give you some time, and ring the bell, and you can talk about it for a bit, and then we'll go to the next one, and the next one, and see what arises for you. you that will be a little clearer, right? Okay, so maybe three or four, and... um. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.